Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn it to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you're watching online, we, we invite you to do the same and welcome you. And as you find your place, let me just sort of orient you, whether you're new with us, of just sort of some of the patterns of, of our church and sort of where, where we are right at this moment. We are, as a church, right in the middle of a renovation, and so it has, it has affected our ministries and different kind of things that it should be done the first of the year, and we're excited about it. We invite anyone that wants to go over after the service to see where the status is, to help yourself. Uh, the other thing that we do every week here is we respond to the message in multiple ways, but one of the ways is that is through we come to the table and celebrate communion every week here at Battleground Community Church. And so let me just teach you something. We practice what, what, what we call close communion. And what that means for you, if you're a guest or if you're a member, if you are in Christ, you are welcome to come to the table. If you're not in Christ, don't come to the table because the Scripture tells you you're bringing judgment, and we've been talking about judgment, on yourself to celebrate communion as an unbeliever. So it's not an opportunity to train your children by letting them partake. It's an opportunity to train your children by letting them watch. And so that's what it means here to us as a church as we will open the tables up at the end of the service and respond to the King of glory that's going to come for us by remembering the work of Christ. And so that's part of our response to the message every week. And so got your place, Romans 2. We're going to begin in verse 6 today. We've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks, thinking about judgment, but then eternal punishment, eternal reward. And so stand with me out of reverence to God's word. This, this week we look at this same passage, but look at what God's word has to say about our eternal reward. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being that does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we have come as your children expectantly, as a little baby who hungers for the milk from its mother. Lord, we have come to you today hungry to hear what you have to say because Lord you know and Father you know how hard this life can be at times and so Lord I pray that you would give your people comfort today and hope today but yet a challenge us today in only the way that you and the spirit of God speaking through the word of God can do Make us on our, on our knees, but yet on the edge of our seats as we hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have, we have been talking, like I said, about judgment. 
How can we, here's a question, sort of a couple questions, because I'm like a question guy. How can we be saved by faith alone and yet be judged for what we do? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, you know, Hitler, he needs to be judged, right? And maybe that guy who did us wrong, yeah, he, he needs to be judged too. But what about me? I mean, this sounds sort of personal. And it is. Last week we looked at eternal punishment. We're going to touch on it this week, but I invite you just to pull it up online and, and or on YouTube or any number of places that you can watch it and, and, and see this side of it. Uh, Paul has written this in almost a psalm formula. If you pay attention, there's what we call a chiastic structure to where he goes one way with punishment and then he goes backs back in to reward. So the focus today is what about believers' judgment? I mean, like, how does that exactly work? What we're saying this morning is what we do as believers eternally matters. Have you ever labored in a relationship? Maybe for years. Maybe it was a friendship, maybe it was a partnership of some kind, business partnership, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiancé, marriage, anything. And then it just blows up, stabbed in the back. The next thing you know, you're left there going, was all this wasted? Did I just waste my life for a year, 10 years, 20 years? Was all this for nothing? I mean, am I the only one that's felt like that? You know? This is why this matters. Nothing done in the pathway of walking by faith in your everyday life is wasted. Nothing. At the same time, the Bible gives us these stark warnings that there is a kind of work that looks good to some degree but produces nothing. Matthew 7, probably one of the most sobering passages in the Bible, warns us about this. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone, this is Jesus speaking, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. It's, it's really important. We've been looking at verses 24 and following the last couple of weeks. But see how important it is to understand what the context of a verse? You hear God's word and you respond to that word in obedience. There is a kind of works that produces nothing. James 2 reminds us in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So, what distinguishes good works that produce no work, no reward, and good works that do? Last week we gave us the answer. If you paid attention, it is those who are self-seeking. 
It is a good work that is self-seeking, that seeks. Remember we said that was selfish ambition, a type of seeking that has no moral boundaries, no thought of anyone else other than oneself. Remember what he said, that that kind of seeking focuses us toward eternal destruction, not eternal reward. What we seek after, and this is the point, and we'll come back to this multiple times in the message. What we seek after, what we desire, what we long for, what we treasure is like a rock in a pond that ripples into eternity. And so nothing that we do is wasted. And nothing that anyone does to us is missed. The gospel declares a day of reward is coming, revealing God's righteousness and rewarding his people in the presence of his glory. I've already been singing and reading about that. We want to look at the same principles, the same three principles we looked at last week. If they are true principles, they, they work on both sides of the coin. They work on the eternal destruction being part of, the, part of our, the reward for the unbeliever as well as reward and inheritance and eternal life works for the believer. So let's look at it. The first principle is obvious in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. The principle of reward then is that just that. That God is going to pay back the believer. That's what that word means. I didn't come up with that word. That, that word's written in the book. And that's what it means. It means exactly what we call it. It's reward. It's payback. But here's the truth of Scripture the reward is only for the justified, forgiven, and adopted. And no one else. Romans 3, there's a typo in your notes here. And by the way, Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified, declared righteous means that... Christ's righteousness has been counted, has been placed in your account, and your sin has been placed in his, and it's been paid, and that exchange has happened, and it's done it's one time and never happens again. You are declared righteous. So make no mistake this morning. Someone says that you are not saved by works. They're wrong. You are saved by works. You're saved by Jesus' work. That's what faith is about. And that's what justification does. We are justified and we are forgiven. Just listen to the psalmist. Psalms 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Isn't that good news? Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The reward is for the justified. And the justified are the forgiven. And the forgiven are the adopted. Galatians 4, 4 reminds us of this doctrine. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
as children, as men and women, as anybody in Christ. And because you are sons, because you are children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's who the reward is for. The sons, the children, the justified, the forgiven, the adopted. There's nobody that gets into the family of God without adoption. Oh, I went down. Yeah, I agree with you, Pastor. I went down when I was eight, and I prayed that prayer. Praise Jesus. But you see, the reward is only for those who seek. The justified are the forgiven. The forgiven are the adopted. The adopted are those who seek. Now let's go back to our text, verse 6 and 7. He says, He will render to each one according to his works, verse 7, to those who by patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. This is the message here, verse 7, if you're taking notes. This is the one you want to go home and think about because you, you just don't want to read over it too quick. You'll miss the, does it really say that? But let's understand it first. What is, what is the first thing he said? That, that our seeking is a patient seeking. Do you see it? To those who by patience in well-doing seek. This reminds me of the parable of the souls. Do you remember that? By the way, how many, how many souls it represents people in eternal life? How many, how many goes to heaven? One. Which soul was it? The good soul. Did the disciples understand the parable? No. They didn't understand. And so Luke 8.15, Jesus is explaining it to him, to them. And he says this, As for that in the good soul, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and what? Bear fruit with patience. That's what Paul's saying. Why patience? Why patience? Because it's hard. Because it's hard. Because life is hard. Because love is hard. Because ministry is hard. Because being a parent and being a child and being an employer and being a spouse is hard. Being in school is hard. It's hard to prioritize biblical community. It's hard to seek first the kingdom of God when the whole world opposes it. And he's saying, be patient in well-doing. Keep on seeking. Seek and keep on seeking. How? Through the things that we do and the, that which motivates them. And what is that? Well, let's look at what the text says. Go back to verse 7. It says, To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So what are they seeking for in all of their well-doing? It says glory, honor, and immortality. Now here's why we need to read our Bibles again and understand 
what it's saying and what it's not saying because look at verse 8. Verse 8 is the contrast. In contrast to seeking glory, honor, and immortality, the contrast is those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth and obey unrighteousness. And so lest we grab a hold of some kind of prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel lines up with verse 8 with those who go to hell because of it. Just saying. Because this seeking is not a self-seeking. It's not a self-seeking. It's not worldly. It's not carnal. It's not a kind of seeking that everybody else in the world seeks after. It's a different kind of seeking, but it is a seeking. So what does that mean? There's two possible explanations for it. I just want to give you both. I'll tell you where I land here because of the text. It couldn't be that Paul is saying that those who persevere in good, in doing good, What they receive is glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life. Let's read it again, verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Every word is important there because what it could mean and what I believe it does mean according to the text and the language That all those who by persevering in doing good, what they are persevering in doing good for, what motivates them to keep on keeping on is they're seeking, they're searching for glory, honor, and immortality. And they and they alone will be rewarded with eternal life. Changes everything. Let me just read another passage. You can look at it. I think you know it. Philippians 3.8. Philippians 3.8. Scripture explains Scripture. Philippians 3, verse 8. Paul says, Indeed, Paul in prison, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What is he saying here? That I am in prison today. And whether I die, whether I live, no matter what, I make it my aim to know Christ, to please him. Because there's no way that I'm going to miss the resurrection of the dead. That's my aim. Our aim, brothers and sisters, is not too high. Our aim is too low. It is what C.S. Lewis said, and my interpretation of it. We are assumed to stay home and play in a mud puddle when our Father has invited us to go on a vacation in the Caribbean, saying your aim is not too high, your aim is too low. Our pleasures and our treasures and our desires are not high enough in why we do what we do. 
And so we need to reorient ourselves. Unless we think this is wrong, let's again, let's hear from Christ. What did, what did Christ do? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see that? Read it again. It says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for, for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? What does John 17 say in a high priestly prayer? What was Jesus wanting more than anything when he was on earth? To finish his mission and to be back with his father. For the joy that was sent before him. He endured the cross patiently. He despised the shame patiently. And what is his place right now? Honor and glory. Right? The reward, you see, is eternal life. John 17, 3 explains to us one aspect and the central aspect of eternal life. Do you know what it says that eternal life is? Let's just, let me just, let's just read it. What is eternal life? If this is, if this is the essence of our reward, what is eternal life? John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So then, what is eternal life? Hmm? It's to know God. So, what is everlasting life? Let me just give you some text. Not in your passage. Not only is it to know God... John 17, 3. It is the possession of the peace of God that transcends all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. It is joy inexpressible and full of glory, 1 Peter 1, 8. It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It is the love of God poured into our heart, Romans 5, 5. Eternal life is all that we enjoy that is in part in this life, will be in full in the next, in the presence of God forever. This is eternal life. This is what the redeemed long for. We anticipate it. Every time we sing a song or read a passage or go through a trial, here's what we're saying today. More reward than that. If you can get your hand around that, and I can't, I'm just... I'm just reaching around the bottom of the mountain with you today, just as far as we can go, and that's not far. But let's try the best we can. Because Scripture says the reward is very dependent on our kingdom faithfulness. It's just why what you do in the pathway of obedience matters. 1 Corinthians 3. Turn with me to that. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. I'm skipping some today just for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now the context of this, the Corinthian church is bragging about different pastors that they thought was better than the other, and I'm following this and I'm following that. And, and he's explaining some of the eternal perspective on that. But there is a nugget of gold here to understand what reward is like. 
verse 12. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There is a quality of our work that matters. The motivation of our work matters. Yes, the guy who who spends his life on the back of a trash truck that we look down may have more reward than the evangelist that spends all of his life long preaching to be seen by men. Self-seeking glory and honor and prestige in this life. And what did Jesus say? Well, you've got your reward. This life. It's got to go through God's holiness And what's left on the other side, that's what depends on our reward. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Work hard, Christians. As for the Lord and not for men, why? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Turn with me passage we've been looking at the last couple weeks, Matthew 24 and 25. We've been looking at Matthew 25. I want you to see the context, though, here in Matthew. Before we go back to Matthew 25, you see there is a principle of separation that we've been looking at already. I want you to see that principle worked out in reward here. But let's just, let's just look at it. Let's look at the context first. Just, just look in your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, it usually gives you these nice little subtitles, and that's helpful to understand the context. You see in, in chapter 24 that Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple, something that would literally happen in A.D. 70. It was life-changing. He then, he then goes on to explain the signs of the end of the age, of which, by the way, that is one of them. And that's been fulfilled. And then just keep looking in your Bibles. He then explains the abomination of desolation. He then explains in verse 29, the coming of the Son of Man. We have this interesting lesson about the lesson of the fig tree. And and then in, in verse 44, in chapter 24, It says, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And look what's next in chapter 25. What comes next in chapter 25 is the parable of the ten virgins. What is the point of the parable? Well, Remember the point of a parable you could easily found either at the front of the parable or at the end of a parable. If, if you look in verse 12, it says, But he answered, Truly, truly, I say, I do, not, I, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know 
not neither the day nor the hour. The point is you must be ready. You must be prepared. That was the point of the parable. And what does he do next? You see it in there? We've been looking at the, the parable of the talents is next. And I think this is interesting, isn't it? For you have, for it will be like what? Between the coming of the end of the age and the Lord's return, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a, a master who gives talents that depend on the people's abilities to, to his people, and then he goes away. And then when he comes back, what does he do? He entrusts them with something that ultimately belongs to him. And then he returns in verse 19 of chapter 25. What, is he, what does he say? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and what does he do? Settled accounts with them. There's coming a day when the Lord's going to come back. And when he does, believers, he's going to settle his accounts with you. What have you done with what he has entrusted to you? I want you to see too, then, then we, as we flip on over, we see what comes next. <laughs> Verse 31 is what? The final judgment. So you see the flow? It's intentional. Then the judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and his angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. And what is he going to do next? Separation. Remember, we looked at that last week. Separate the sheep and the goats. We looked at the, the goats last week. The, what I want you to see is this something, this separation is for something that has been prepared. In both directions. In verse 41, we remember what he says to those that he puts on his left. To the unbeliever. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They depart. They are sent to a prepared place. Who? Those who do evil. What do they experience? Outward tribulation and inward distress. That's what Romans 2 says. No peace. Proverbs 14.12 warns that there is a way that seems right to a man that ends up in death. But, look at verse 34. What we're talking about is those on the right side. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you see that? Is we are going to inherit a prepared place. When one is was it prepared? Before he even said, let there be. Get your hand around that if you want to. I, who's that for? Those who do good. There is a prepared inheritance. What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something you receive that somebody else worked for. Come on now. Right? Anybody ever here received some kind of inheritance? Listen, if you received your grandpa's hat, that's all you got. You didn't work for that hat. 
That was his. He worked for it. And he has left it as an inheritance. Everything that we will receive, somebody else worked for. And his name is Jesus. And that affects, I don't understand, by the way, a little sidebar, all of this money-grubbing stuff that happens when someone dies. It just squeezes out what really is on the inside of people. Because if you understood this Jesus, if you followed this Jesus, what squeezes out of you is this amazing generosity that our Jesus not only bled and died for us, but he has prepared for us an inheritance as our reward. And nobody can touch it. And we don't have to fight over it. There's plenty for all who believe. Matthew 19, 29, it says, And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. No possibility that a resurrected Jesus will go back on his word. Mm. What do we inherit? Everything. Everything. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Luke 12, 32 says, Don't worry about things, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If we go back to Romans 2 and verse 10, he describes this as outward glory and honor and inward peace. Now, forever. Psalm 1611, just listen to it, says, You have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Do you see? Our desires are not too high. Our desires are too low. Just listen to what Jesus has promised you today. If it has never sunk in, I pray that it will today. Because this affects obedience right here. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And if that is not enough, he says, And I have raised you up with me and seated you with me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That language is, he has already done that. We have already been raised up and seated with Christ. And we've seen nothing yet. This comes to another principle that we need to look at. And it is the principle in verse 11 of impartialness. And I want to tell you here that I'm only, I'm only leaning in right here because I love you. Do you believe I love you? Spiritual privilege carries with it spiritual responsibility. That's what he's saying. God is not partial. Judgment's not exactly the same on people. Why not? We're going to talk about that next week. People's knowledge, even as unbelievers, vary. But so does the reward for his children. With privilege comes responsibility. The privilege of leadership at any level in your life increases your responsibility. And I know I've, I've, I've heard it my whole life as a leader. 
in any capacity. Well, that's easy. I just won't serve. I just won't take that ministry. I won't have them kids. I will just settle on a job, earn a paycheck, and one day just ride off into the sunset. Do you not know that your king has called you to lead? Do you not know that your king has called you to serve? He has called you to give. He has called you to go. We are accountable to a sovereign king that has called us, and we are responsible for that king. Stop rolling around in where sovereignty and responsibility meet. It meets when the king tells you to do something. That's where it meets. Don't think about it no deeper than that. He's called us to be faithful. He rewards the faithful. So pick it up and finish the work. That's what he's calling us. Why? Increased. He has drawn a circle around your life. I pray that on every. I prayed it over Mike. I prayed it over Jeff yesterday when we had an ordination council. He's drew a circle around your life. Understand what that is and do what he's called you to do. We are the ones who come behind the Hebrews 11, heroes of faith. Pick your calling up because it eternally matters not only in your life, but in the ones God has called you to impact. Nothing is wasted. I can still remember when I was at the church that I grew up in and we were still deacon-led. It was years ago and, and our pastor's wonderful, called us to become a biblical elder church, and, and he had to struggle with people like me who didn't want to do it and didn't believe in it, and he was patient and kept throwing God's Word under our nose and made us read it and read it and read it and read it, and I can still remember once I saw it in God's Word, and it just everywhere, from one end of the book to, to the other, and then what? Hit me. And the subsequent time was this. God, forgive us as a church who have been calling deacons to do things that they have not been called to do. And in turn, they neglected the things they have been called to do. That matters. Church government matters. Two offices of the church, both being deacon and elder, matters. Why? Because we have distinct callings. A husband and wife as a family working together matters. Why? Because we complement each other. Because we got roles that we're supposed to do and we got to do them and they're distinct. But they're together and we got to do it. Don't miss it. The reward is for the faithful. And the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. Unless you think this is my opinion, Luke 12, 47 says this. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they in, there is entrusted much, the, mu, the more will be demanded. So what? Here's what I want you to think about. And I hope this question's clear. Because, you know, you ever had a question that's something that really seems clear in your own head but wasn't clear to anybody else? <laughs> Maybe that's just me too. But think about this. If God will reward me, will reward you, will reward us in the future according to what I'm seeking right now, what will be my reward be then? If this is how it works, and that's, my, that's the biblical argument here, that what we are doing now is affecting our reward then. 
then what would that reward be? One day, whether you want to think about it or not, either I will preach your funeral or you will preach mine. And we want to be able to say this. 2 Timothy 4, 7. You have fought a good fight. You have finished the race. You have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, your righteous judge, will award you on that day. And not only you, but to all those who love his appearing. Amen. The Lord will come. And when he comes, his reward is coming with him. And so today, just the encouragement of 2 Corinthians 4.16. Such a good passage. Micah spoke it over our life this week. And it was just too good not to put in the passage. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. I just love the way it puts it. Context, by the way, is spreading the gospel so that more people will be saved. And he, he says, verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are renewed day by day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. This morning the Lord wants you to know he he knows that it's hard. The Bible is clear. The Bible never says anything different. But he also wants to do that. Nothing that happens in our life is producing nothing. Everything is producing something. It is producing a weight of glory. And I can tell you the last year or two hasn't felt what the ESV calls light and momentary. And I know a lot of folks in here, and what you've went through over the last year, hadn't felt light and momentary either. But it depends on what you compare it to. And he's saying if you look high enough, If you compare it long enough to the glory and the honor and the immortality that God has promised to those who trust Him, then it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It is light. It is momentary. It is purposeful. And it's doing something. God will reward His own. So just the comfort today, just the encouragement, just the challenge today is... Let us rest in Christ. Let us fight in the Spirit. And let us glorify the King. And when we are finished, then and only then will it be time to go home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the promise of reward. The promise that everything that we go through in this life is doing something not only now in the lives of the people, but in eternity. We confess, Lord, just as limited people that just, we can only understand, Lord, just a little bit of this. But, Lord, what we can understand 
is enough to bring us to worship now. And so, Lord, we want to respond to you. We want to respond in multiple ways, Lord, through our voice, through our hearts, through, through our lives, through going out the doors here in just a minute and how we love our wives and love our kids and share the gospel with those we work with and reorient our lives around your community. But Lord, we also want to come to the table now to remember your son, who he was, what he accomplished. Father, as as one of your brothers reminded us yesterday as we talked, as you come to the table today, I pray that you will remind the redeemed of the rest that comes from Jesus Christ. That you will give your people, even as they take the bread and the cup, a rest that transcends all understanding. Gather your people, Lord, even now, Save the lost even now. Bring repentance and faith into the lives of those who do not know now, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. But bring joy inexpressible and full of glory to your children. Strengthen us, feel us, motivate us, reorient us. If we need to repent, God, may we do it before we come to the table. Then us come to the table realizing I am justified. I am forgiven. I am adopted. I'm an heir. May your people enjoy you now, God. Because you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our joy. You are worthy of the glory and honor that is due your name. So receive it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.